Maria Dorothea Skull and welcome to the Alternative UK podcast. This is an occasional series where we talk in depth with some of the practical and idealistic heroes of our superpowered localism. And today we have an interview with Stella Duffy. Stella is a writer and a theatre maker and she is also the co-director of Fun Palaces. Now, Fun Palaces is this spectacular ongoing campaign for community-driven culture. And every year in October, this year is the 6th and 7th, they have a weekend of fun and action in communities across the UK and now also across the world. And Stella and I met at the cafe in the Albany Theatre in, in Deptford. And we talked a bit about, of course, the work that Fun Palaces do and why, why it's immensely political. Um, we talked about how to create leisure spaces um, that calls for connection and that is for the diverse community. We talked about whether we can have the vulnerable and the powerful in the same space. And we also talked about how to support individuals and communities in finding their own agency. So yeah, I hope you um, enjoy our conversation. What you guys done and do have done, have accomplished is so important to the process that we're now yeah, yeah, beginning. Because sure. we're sort of trying to accomplish a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, I was thinking about your sort of slogan, like, you know, everyone is an artist. Yeah. Sort of the same, we want to, everyone to be a politician. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A small P. Yeah. And we um, also want politics at the heart of community and community yeah, at the yeah. heart of politics. Uh, and also, we yeah. perceive fun palaces to be immensely political. Yeah. You know, it's about the kind of radical change where people can do for themselves mm-hmm. and are... You know, there's a real problem with the word empowered because it sounds like yeah. someone is giving someone else power. Yeah. And same with enabled. Yeah. Really, I don't... Maybe engendered or... I, I'm not even sure what the words are, but yeah. the idea that people would understand, be supported to understand that they have their own agency. Yeah. And that's really difficult when you're working in a system... I grew up in New Zealand, mm. and New Zealand likes to think of itself as a classless system, but of course, like any culture, it's yeah. not. Um, I have great Danish friends, but, um, you know, bearing in mind that you're from Denmark, but mm. my experience of sitting around a very liberal, very lovely table of fantastic, amazing Danes working in the arts was that they were immensely Islamophobic, and I was shocked by it. <laughs> Just shocked by the things that these people who purported to be really left-leaning and really liberal mm. and really political were saying. I was stunned that, that they thought it was okay to even speak like that, let alone think like that. Mm. So I think that all cultures, no matter how open we are to yeah. to change and to openness and to um, co-creation, yeah. have our individual problems. Yeah. And having been born in Britain but grown up in New Zealand what I perceive to be a a specific British problem is that for such a long time the politics here were run by the class system Mm. and that even if places believe themselves beyond it there's a London-centric problem Mm. there's a class-centric problem there's a privileged education-centric problem Mm. and of course other countries and other nations have that 
Yeah. But it's very strong here. Yeah. And that is part of one of the reasons we see something like Fun Palaces as being intensely political. Because mm. it, it says the centre isn't what matters. What matters is where you are. Yeah. Hyperlocalism hyper might be the phrase. Mm. That's what, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a term. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure we some, like to come up with new someone terms else has probably written a PhD yeah. about hyperlocalism. But, but the thing that we really believe that each community knows what it needs yeah. more than we do. So we started out just saying, well, we will always believe that, and then we'll find out how that manifests. Mm. And how it's manifesting now is with our ambassadors program, which we just had a day with them on um, Tuesday. Mm. We have an ambassador in Scotland, two ambassadors in Cornwall, one in Stoke, one in Sheffield, one in Bristol. Mm. They're two days a week like us. They were, not, they were not employed to make fun palaces. They were employed to be people who were already connected to the communities and already yeah. knew those communities and were of those communities to, uh, to support other people who wanted to do things, whether that's make a fun palace or not. Yeah. And it's starting to show up that it's working mm. and it's really slow. <laughs> yeah. Really, really slow. So with the ambassadors and with the, maybe the places that have made fun palaces two and three times mm. in a row and they're starting to perceive themselves as, oh, we are the group that makes the fun palace here and these are the connections we have. Mm. They're beginning to feel, I think, like they are, they are their own agents of change. Yeah. But that's five years, which in some ways is quite a short time, mm. and in other ways is a very long time yeah. for something that I believed five years ago. Everyone just go, yeah, gotcha. We totally believe in the concept of the genius in everyone. Of course we do. And the amount of arguments I've had with people going, well, no, some people are trained to do these things. Mm. And, and then, you're having, then I'm having to say, well, if they're trained to be an artist or a scientist or a digital artist that's because they've had the privilege of training yeah and so few people in Britain do if they if they feel that they're able to stand for local politics it's because they've had the privilege of being engaged in that and so few people are yeah um, that's a long winded long winded yeah. way of saying we think that what we're doing is about supporting people to create their own agency mm. for the changes they want to create in their own communities. Yeah, <laughs> and that's basically what we... Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, I know, yeah. In a lot yeah. of ways, want to yeah. do, but sort of try to in politics, you know. Yeah. So maybe you can take me a little bit about the process of engaging people sure. locally, that you, what you've learned along the way. Yeah. So we now, you know, are sort of in the same position. We come based in London and yep. we come to the community often we're invited by people that yep. we've made connection with have a meeting and then sort of you know see is there a possibility is the labs actually something that you would like to do yes. if you think it would be relevant for the communities yep. and then now we went there last week we were there and trying to you know connect with more people and engage yep. people in this thing uh so yeah engage stakeholders and keep them engaged yeah. and that's what you've done quite successfully because yeah. a lot of you know fun pals have gone done it every year sure people so. make it every year or they make it every yeah. second year because yeah. if you've got to so 33% nearly 33% last year were fully volunteer led mm. um, and that's tiring for people you know yeah. it's a lot to take on creating something in your community however big it is mm. um, so we often say make a small fun palace 
you know, do a two-hour fun palace, not a two-day one for your yeah. starter. Um, acknowledge that it might be a bit rubbish to start. You know, say, giving people permission to fail for yeah. it not to be brilliant first off because I might know how a fun palace has worked very well in Glasgow, but I'm not going to know how a fun palace has worked very well in a particular suburb in Plymouth, mm. right? Because every, every place is different. Yeah. And I might be able to suggest, well, somewhere that was a bit like this has done that, but it's still going to be different. Mm. So we, we spe- I spend a lot of time saying, I don't know. You know better than I do about your local community. Um, fun palaces doesn't know but here are 10 or 20 or 100 case studies, mm. little, you know, an anecdote, maybe a page about what this place has done, maybe a short blog. Mm. We try to share a lot of material, we call them makers, that other makers have done. Yeah. So on our website we have a maker section, there's maker blogs there, there's maker short films there. Mm. There's a lot of material where they're saying how it was for them. Yeah. Because I've never made a fun palace. <laughs> you know, I've never done it, so I don't know. Yeah. I know what it's. I, I can tell you what it's like to run a fun palaces workshop. Or mm. anyway, so so the initial thing, I guess in the first place we made a lot of contacts on social media. Yeah, um, that's partly because I personally like Twitter and like mm. Facebook. And I think that when people don't like Twitter, it's their own fault. It's like saying I don't like television and not changing the channel. Follow better people. Uh, You don't like what you're reading? Follow better people. There are amazing people to follow across the world. Um, What's been interesting to us is that Twitter works very well across the UK. So I've been able to make connections from my part of South London with people in Northern Ireland who we're now working, hoping to work in particular in the next five years very deeply. Um, with people in Scotland, with people in Wales, with people in the northeast of England. I mean, places that I know a bit or don't know at all. Yeah. Um, people in parts of London that I don't know at all. You know, London's a huge, huge city. Yeah. Um, and what we've discovered is so Twitter's great for that and for international connections. There's a man in New Jersey who's really keen on what we're doing. And yeah. there's crossovers with what he's doing. Um, and Facebook is great for more local things. Yeah. Uh, people have people often set up a local Facebook page. Yeah. Even though they have a page available to them on the Fun Palaces website, they find that a Facebook page is useful. That's where people are. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's interesting to me. And it's there, I think, I'm 55. I think there has been an assumption that social media is for younger people, but according to my 18, 19-year-old friends, it's, you know, they, they don't care about Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Twitter and Facebook are definitely more accessible to people within a 30-year range around yeah, my yeah, age. Yeah. Um, it's Instagram for the younger ones, particularly the, the young artists. Mm. Snapchat, but then you have to be friends with those people to be Snapchatting each other. Yeah. And, you know, other forms. So, um... So we've used social media a lot, and we've found it useful. But in terms of genuinely embedding, that's not up to us. That's the community themselves. So I have, you know, there are a few Fun Palaces places that I talk about a lot because it's just happened. Farnham, um, you know, the group that started that Fun Palace, the two people in particular... They're not, they're not British nationals. Hmm. They were migrants. They weren't feeling part of their community. They wanted to do something to feel more part of their community. They don't perceive themselves to be artists or scientists or people with particular tech or digital or, hmm. you know, any of those skills, anything to do with culture, really. 
Um, and they genuinely wanted to use their fun palace as a way to get to know their community, which is phenomenal. Um, and they have. Mm. And it's taken them four years. And their yeah. first year, they described their first fun palace as a failure. To me, it was a major breakthrough. Yeah. Because these people who didn't feel part of their community created anything in their community for that mm. community. And they created it for that community. And Kareen, who is who, who's still leading that fun palace, writes about it extremely eloquently, actually. I should link to some of her stuff. Mm. About how what she discovered was that as, a, as an immigrant, she had thought it was up to British people to welcome her. Yeah. Which is fair enough. But what she didn't realise was that she might have to do something too. Yeah. <laughs> which is huge. That's huge. You know, if you're feeling like an outsider... And I sometimes do big, shiny keynote speeches. Mm. The last one I did for 350 people. It was a diversity and equality speech. Um, and I said, put up your hand if you've never felt like an outsider. No hands go up. Put up your hand if you've ever felt like you don't belong. Every hand goes up. Everyone yeah. feels like an outsider in some way. Everyone. I mean, maybe if you went to Eton and then... Oxford, maybe you don't, but and you're man, and you're white, you know, and you're rich and middle class, but maybe you don't, but I bet maybe even they do. You know, everyone yeah. to some degree feels like an outsider. Yeah. So the acknowledgement that outsiders might have to make an effort to, in order to welcome other people in, is enormous. Yeah. I will send you Corinne's writing about this. It's 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 phenomenal. She's she's so thoughtful and so strong. So I cite her a lot hmm. as a. As a, for me, that's what that's some of the guts of fun palaces. And now they're running demo cafes, democracy cafes. You know, yeah, yeah, because that, yeah. to them, that's the thinking. It is political with a small p. It's not yeah. necessarily partisan politics. Mm. Although to me, it feels liberal and left leaning. But you know, to somebody else, it might not look like that from their perspective. Yeah. Um, Boundary Estate Fun Palace, where you came and, yeah. and saw Philip. Similarly, you know, it's amazing what, how it sort of also changed his life. Exactly, in all the ways to absolutely, be to the community and experience yeah, totally. everything that's right there. Uh -huh. and, and this is somebody who already was connected because he's already very strong in the residents' association, but wasn't doing such outward-facing stuff. Yeah. More inward-facing. It's a big residents' association, you know. Perfectly understandable that you would go, okay, I'll put my time, my volunteer time into this. But the work he's doing now is really outward facing mm. and welcoming complete strangers to come to this amazing talk that we're doing once a month. Mm. You know, that kind of thing to me is, is the real fruits of Fun Palaces. Yeah. The weekend's lovely and it's really exciting, and the diversity around the weekend and the inclusion around the weekend is phenomenal. Mm. And I think that is because if your auntie is running. A 10-minute thing every hour out of Fun Palace, and it's how to beat eggs to make the best Victoria sponge in the world. Yeah. You'll go along because of your auntie. Yeah. If your next-door neighbour, who you didn't even know was halfway through a PhD in particle physics mm. with the Open University and wants to share a little bit of string theory... string. Th I don't even know if string theory and particle <laughs> physics go together, but that doesn't matter... Um, And, 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 you know, she's made it accessible to 12-year-olds and 85-year-olds who, who didn't even know that there was such a thing as particle physics. <laughs> and you want to go to support your neighbour, then what you're going to get is you're going to get a different demographic than if you say, we are doing a science day. Mm. We are doing an arts day. We yeah. are doing a political day. You get a demographic of the community. Mm. 
30% of people who came to fund houses, participants of fund houses last year were from an ethnic minority. Yeah. You know, that's more than the ethnic minorities in Britain. Hmm. It's, it's astonishing. Yeah, 21% of fund palaces maker teams included makers who were disabled. Mm. It, it's a, that, that's about the national average. That just doesn't show up anywhere else. Yeah. And to me, that's where, that's where the change is possible. Mm. And I, the only thing I know we're doing is we're very honestly saying that we don't know. We are very honestly saying you know better than us about your community. Mm. We are very honestly saying here are some models they have worked elsewhere. They may or may not work for you. Yeah. We are very honestly saying anyone can do this and meaning it. And that's the hard bit. That's the bit that takes our hours and hours and hours. Yeah. You know, I have watched it. As you know, there's three of us now, two days a week. It used to be four, two days a week. And we're hoping maybe we'll get another producer on board if we get the money. Mm. Um, I've watched Hannah on the phone for two hours talking through something as simple as uploading a photo to somebody who's never done that before. Yeah. You know, we are also training people in simple skills that to you and me might be simple. But if somebody hasn't, hasn't got access to the internet, which a lot of people in Britain don't unless they go to their local library and libraries are closing everywhere. Yeah. That's really hard. That's asking a lot. Yeah. So a lot of what we do is training in simple skills. And then in the workshops, our workshops take three hours, two and a half to three hours, depending on how much time people have. Yeah. Yeah. Or no, for whoever wants to turn up. Yeah. And um, ideally, they're they're invite they they, the local people that we're in contact with invite as many different people as possible, as many different groups as possible. Mm. Um, And then about half an hour is about what a fun palace is or could be. But then the next two to two and a half hours are. And how can we help you work out what you would like to do? And who can we put you in touch with who's done that? Mm. Maybe they're in Glasgow, but maybe you could email or, or, or phone them. Yeah. Um, can, we, can we link you with someone we know locally who has more skill in that, who might give you some time, you know, over a cup of coffee uh, to, to talk, to you th- talk you through it or maybe give you some of their own time and come along and do it at your fun palace and train you up to do it next year? Mm. And all the while saying, I don't know. You know, I'm a 55-year-old woman who, I grew up working class. I'm the youngest of seven kids. A lot of my time in... in I have six siblings. (laughs) Really? Yeah. What number are you? Seven. Oh, wow. We're both seven. The baby. That's so cool. So one of the reasons I do this is because I know how lucky I am. I had so much more access to education, to so much more than, than my siblings did. We were a poor family. My brother and sisters. I've got one brother and five sisters. Mm. How many have you got? Two brothers and four sisters. Ah, how funny. Um, You know, my siblings had to leave school earlier than I did Mm. because we had less money. And we were still poor when I was growing up, but there was only one kid left. Yeah, we were really... It's the same. We were Uh, poor our whole life. But uh, the thing is, in Denmark, you know, you get the opportunity to take an education, Uh whereas my parents perhaps didn't because they were more like yep. hard in the sort of class yeah, yeah. thing yep. but then we all got to take an education right. so it's free how old are you? So 28 yeah so my nieces and nephews are all in their uh, well they're now in their 30s and 40s mm. and for them it's been different they're yeah. the children of my siblings yeah so for me one of the reasons for fun palaces is because I know that I'm lucky mm. you know I just know it by looking at my siblings and they have great lives I mean they, you know they wouldn't sit around going oh my life's been terrible because I didn't get to go to university like Stella yeah. but I, I have had more choices than they have 
And what we want to offer with Fun Palaces is yeah. access to more choices. Yeah. More options and more power. People could have more power mm-hmm. than they know they have available to them. But you have to know that you have choices to have any power, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, so, so, but, but coming from that background, I felt for a long time that I had to say I knew what I was doing. Mm. You know, I felt for a long time I had to behave like the middle class, very, very well educated people that I was meeting in the arts and in culture talk about myself as if, of course, I know what I'm doing. Yes. And, I thought I had to pretend that bullshit. And I am now able, because of our work, and because I'm 55, and because I've had cancer twice, and because I've been practicing the same Buddhism as Indra for 32 years. I mean, all of this, right? Because of all of that, I am able to say there is so much I don't know and that I'm willing to learn, willing to accept I will never know about that particular community unless I lived there for 30 years, like the people that that are running that local fun house. No one person can ever know everything that is needed. And I think one of the one of the things that we're best at is admitting that we don't know and that that's not a problem because it's not for us to tell that community what to do. It's for that community to work out and, and we can maybe be a conduit to other resources or a... <laughs> this won't help your recording. You see, I'm this. It's like, <laughs> I, like I'm holding... But yeah. loosely, like yeah. I'm not holding like this, with my hands really tight. I'm holding loosely. But if we can hold loosely a dream of co-creation mm. and co-curation, then maybe people can do for themselves. Yeah. So what sort of struck me was that even when we were in Devon this past week, we talked about a lot about the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. And how we sort of... Okay, well, we're going to have this friendly, but it's probably just going to be the usual suspects. Yes. How do we actually reach yeah. into the more you know, community and the yeah. people that wouldn't uh-huh. come into this kind of event? Yeah. Uh, and, oh, your makers are not the usual suspects. No, and that's, that's partly thing. because we we talked all along about yeah. inviting unusual suspects. Yeah. So, and this partly becomes comes from the fact that all of us who started Fun Palaces um, also work in open space. Mm. Do you know open space technology? Not really. It's very similar. I'll yeah. send you the wiki to it, because weirdly, the wiki is really good. <laughs> Wikis are normally really good, right? And it's a form... Uh, that was created in the mid-80s for meetings at which the participants call the agenda. And it supports the participants to call the agenda. So an agenda is not set beforehand. Mm. Um, So that people bring their passion. And we all really love open space and we care about it and we facilitate it and we've done it for big organisations and for small organisations so we understand it really well and we trust it. Which means that we come to doing this work with a trust that one of the principles for open space is whoever comes are the right people. Yeah. That the right people will come. Now, so if you end up running an event and everyone who comes is a usual suspect, yeah. for that moment they are the right people. Yeah. And we use that time and we use that, we don't go, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> You're not unusual enough. Yeah. We acknowledge between us that we were maybe hoping for a wider range of people. Yeah. And that therefore, what's showed up is a bit more work to do. Great. Because yeah. now we know what to do. Yeah. You know? 
I think we spend, those of us who want to change the world, <laughs> spend a lot of time beating ourselves up for not getting there yet. Yeah. You know, it's a big, big, slow, slow change. Yeah. And tiny increments are fine. Because we know that bloody revolutions have never worked. Okay. Right? There's not a bloody revolution anywhere. No. A violent revolution anywhere that has worked. And back to our Buddhist practice. Would it be practice. to do yeah. it? But yeah. And we talk about yeah. human revolution, that Buddhist yeah. practice, which is daily. It's tiny. It's gentle. Yeah. It's kind. At its heart, there is kindness. <laughs> and kindness, to me, feels more and more important. It's about finding the places where we have tiny links. So, so then if no one who's an unusual suspect turns up, then we have the conversation with the people who are there and go, great, who would be your ideal unusual suspect and how can you get to know them or get an invitation to them or can we help you or can someone else help you? Yeah. You know, it's... it's or it so, might be that my neighbour... Aha, uh-huh, exactly. ...who live with, she has lots of opinions... Totally. ...she wouldn't come into this kind of yeah. space. What, and how, yeah. And so therefore, do we go to a different space next time? Yeah. You know, do we, do we do it in a smaller way? So instead of having a gathering of 40 people, we have gatherings of four people in your kitchen. Yeah. You know... At a time, four people, it's nothing. And it's scary for someone to invite them into their home, but once, but it's also, there's a safety there, right? Mm. So I think one of the things that, that I've learned um, in five years has been that I have a very clear view of what a ideal fun palace is, which yeah. is really, really grassroots community-led and really, really taking over public spaces and messy and not particularly shiny and noisy but ideally with a quiet space somewhere and led by people who wouldn't normally do it and that doesn't happen very often and any steps towards that are breakthroughs yeah and I think that what I was hoping was that all the breakthroughs would come straight away yeah and we would see all the change immediately and what I I guess I've learned is that slow change is fine not least because it embeds more and that that the things worth doing, they come in their own time. Mm. And the changes that we've made in five years actually I think are quite fast. Yes. And our learning in five years is quite fast. And I'm sure that in five years' time I will know so much more. Mm. <laughs> and and think you have all these stories yeah. by people and tools yeah. and you know models or maybe but things that you can take to people and be like yeah this is possible you can definitely totally. do this could they do this, this somewhere else exactly. it might be a little bit different in your community yeah but it's definitely possible and and I think we do have the good fortune all of this is accidental that when that, that because of the phrase everyone an artist everyone a scientist and the 1960s version that didn't happen it was everyone an artist or a scientist I mean, <laughs> let's join it all can up. be both yeah. Yeah. it can be both it can happen yeah. everyone an artist everyone a scientist because of that we came into it with the possibility of saying you don't have to have heavy conversations you don't have to have the hard conversations in a fun palace have a chat with somebody about how to do knitting have a chat with somebody about how to what the best constellation to look at if the sky is clear at this time of year. Yeah. Get to know your neighbour that way. As opposed to, interesting that you and I should be talking on the day of the local elections in London. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, as opposed to getting to know your neighbour over having an argument about yeah. whether you're voting Green or Tory or Labour or not voting. Or whether you voted uh-huh. Labour or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So our people are getting to know each other 
over something that they are passionate about, that they enjoy, and that they feel capable in. And that, to me, is really useful. And also, there's something about it being participative. So, we've been very clear, and, and I say this as a theatre maker and novelist, that a show or a book reading is not a fun palace and it probably doesn't really have any place in a fun palace yeah the bit where I ask you to sit down shut up while I perform a song to you probably doesn't really have much place in a fun palace unless after performing the song I then teach it to you Mm. both how to sing it beautifully and how to sing it terribly if you can't sing and how to play the music and where it comes from and everything else so that you get to take that song away with you unless there's genuine participation it, it doesn't really belong. Mm. And one of the reasons that we see a lot of participation in hands-on yeah. science and tech yeah. in particular and hands-on craft mm. rather than high art is because if you teach me... Maria, tell me something that you do with your hands that you, that you feel okay about doing. Uh, maybe making jewellery fantastic fantastic. Yeah. that's perfect what's the best piece of jewellery you've ever made what's the piece that you're most proud of uh, I probably like have some earrings that I put like sort of chain around and then glue them together and, fantastic yeah. <laughs> okay so if you were to show me how to put the chain around we would be both using our hands we wouldn't like we are now looking each other in the eyes right we might occasionally but mostly you'd be doing you might even take my hand and help me turn something Mm. we would be talking physically Mm. i might cry because i've never said it like this before and i think this is really useful we would be connecting physically before we connected verbally. Yeah. Shit, I have never said that before. That's really huge. Yeah. I often talk about the hands-on participation mattering. Yeah. When human beings connect physically, mm. there's no culture that didn't make up singing or dancing. Yeah, yeah. There's no culture that didn't make up tattoos. You know, growing up in New Zealand, moko, which is the traditional tattoo, mm. tato in, in Samoan, there's no culture that doesn't have forms of marking that shows us who we are. Yeah. Those are all hands-on things. And they are hands-on things that tell stories. And we do that before we are verbal. Mm. And one of the real difficulties that you have is you're asking that people have to be verbal about our political feelings. Yeah. And we're asking them to be verbal about feelings. Mm-hmm. That's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. We have the great good fortune of asking people to be physical. And then they can connect in a different way. And it really makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. It really makes a difference. That's definitely one of the challenges we have. We always talk about, you know, bringing in dance, maybe. And have a sort of dance session that we talk about in the the lab in Plymouth is bringing in someone to learn us like a few moves of like salsa or something. Fantastic. Another way of dancing so that people sort of you know feel that kind yeah, of like yeah. connection with each and other and there are some so great disabled dance connect d- dance companies yeah that if if you want to talk about dance there's the minute you say dance there's a whole bunch of people who go I can't dance I'm in a wheelchair yeah so that's a thing to be excited by and careful of mm. but there are wheelchair dance companies there are people doing dance specifically with disabled companies mm. And there are amazing disabled dancers. So 
the idea that you might connect with some groups like that in order to bring dance in would be really exciting. Mm. Yeah. Because dance scares people. It does. Yeah. <laughs> so does singing. I mean, things that are really human. Yeah. You know, no two-year-old is scared by dance, right? No two-year-old goes, I can't move. Whether they're even, you know, I'm thinking of my nephew when he was in traction. He still moved his fingers. He had both his legs and his hips in traction. He was at 18 months, two years old. Traction for about four weeks, six weeks. Mm. But he still moved his fingers. He still, some part of him could move. Mm. Human beings want to move and they want to connect. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely the ways you can break down some yeah, of yeah, these yeah. barriers. Yeah, totally. That, you know, because politics is such a yep. verbal yep. and it's often you have to use the correct Absolutely. words. So yes, even like totally. talking about your needs or your emotions oh, yeah. is quite yeah, yeah, vulnerable yeah. for oh, people. Oh, gorgeous. Um, so it's how do you break down sort of yep. some of these barriers? And every time we ask people to do something, mm-hmm. we are asking them to make themselves vulnerable. Yeah. Because if I put on a fun palace for my local community, someone's going to come along and not like it. Yeah. Someone will. Someone will not like what I've offered. And my answer would be, brilliant, you make one next year. Yeah. You join in. You take it's over. It's actually a good thing that you people lead. don't like it. Uh-huh, right? yeah. yeah and and it, great, this one isn't for you. Fantastic. they can tell you what yeah. is for me. So if, that, so if you know what is for you, you do that. That's amazing. Mm. Um, but it's, yeah, people make themselves very vulnerable. Mm. They have to make themselves vulnerable. Yeah. And that's hard. We also live in a culture, you know, me missing that I don't know. Yeah. It's taken me decades, literally decades, mm. to be able to be that brave. And, yeah. and I have loads of privilege, you know. Yeah. And, and I know where my privilege is from and I know where, my, where I don't have it. And I, the fact that I even know that I have some privilege means that I'm really fucking privileged, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to be able to acknowledge it, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, it reminds me of a question that Indra had because I just get mm. got some questions from the yeah. two of them. It was something about the vulnerable and the powerful. Mm. If it's possible to mix the very vulnerable and the powerful in one space together, and what tools would you use to get them trusting each other? Open space, yeah. seriously. Open space. I, yeah. I'll send you some links. Uh, we can talk about running open space for you if it's if you think it might be useful. Mm. Um, I was introduced to open space by Improbable Theatre, which I went with. Uh, as an improviser and a performer and some occasionally a facilitator I've run open spaces for Improbable Improbable run big open spaces and Sarah Jane and Kirsty who I work with yeah. used to be at Improbable as well so we've mm. been doing this for a long time um, once a year there's a very large open space event called Devoted and Disgruntled yeah, about, about 300 that. people yeah. come there are also Devoted and Disgruntled satellites that are much smaller and they're ongoing um, the very powerful don't often come, but sometimes they're there. Mm. So, and it's a three-day event, two days for, and the sessions are called by who turns up. Mm. People go to whichever session they want to, and people are encouraged to leave a session if they're not really interested or contributing. Mm. Yay! Don't <laughs> stay where you're not contributing. Go to a different session. And they're all yeah. in the same space, so you can see what else is going on. Um. And sometimes you'll find a session that's got two people, and sometimes there's one that's got 30. And that's where the buzz is. But the one where there's two people might also be doing amazing work. And there's no judging by numbers. Mm. 
um, people, great stuff happens, and it doesn't always count by numbers, right? Yeah. But I have been at open spaces where um, funders from the Arts Council, so this is about theatre in particular, mm. the D&D ones. I have been at open space D&D where um, there is funders from the Arts Council along with, I don't know, three 22-year-olds who just got into the arts and don't you know know how to even begin to begin yeah and that is absolutely the very vulnerable and the very powerful in that context mm. um but what i know about the people who are the very powerful who turn up there is that they're not the big bosses they're the yeah. ones working for the arts council and they are the ones who are the ones who want to give who want to be more open yeah so i think of Claire Saddleton in particular, who is an astonishing woman as a person who comes a lot to these events and gives a lot and works for the big institution and is moderately important in that big institution. She's not one of the big, big bosses, but she she has been there a long time and she has a a degree of power. Mm. But she is somebody who wants to give. And I think that quite often when people have power, they begin to collect it to themselves yeah. and they are scared of losing it. Understandably, that's what power does. Yeah. I'm not sure power does always corrupt, you know, the phrase power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But I do think it makes people scared. Mm. Um, being held to account makes people scared. But when the powerful admit that they're vulnerable, oh, everything changes. Yeah. You know, Amber Rudd shouldn't have resigned. Amber Rudd should have said, yes, I made a terrible mistake. I'm really sorry. I'll stay and fix it. Mm. That's what she should have done. That's what she should have been allowed to do. But we don't live in a culture like that. No. You know, the astonishing thing, for all I don't agree with, pretty about 99.9% of Theresa May's politics. But hey, she stayed to fix it, not the men who set it all up. Yeah. They all buggered off. And isn't it interesting that the men pissed off and the woman stayed to fix it? <laughs> hey. There Just, you saying. Go. Yeah. Just saying. Just uh, saying. We don't mind that. Um, 88 to 90 percent of fun palaces are led by women. Mm. People say to us, "But that's not representative." I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." Yeah. 88 to 90 percent of politics is led by men. Get over it. You know, <laughs> this is community. Community stuff is always led by women. Mm. It's always led by women. Um, it's a, and and it's a way of, of making change. Let's yeah. just go with what we've got. Yeah. You know, let's just accept that and see that it's exciting. See mm. that it's women who want to lead some local change. Fantastic. Um, I think it is possible to have the vulnerable and the powerful in the same room but I think the the groundwork needs to be enormous so with an open space a lot of work goes into the invitation to come yeah a lot of work goes into doing our best to invite the unusual suspects yeah and invite them in a way that they feel comfortable and invite them in a way that they might turn up and make it possible to get them there Mm. you know if, if it's too hard to get there, do they need a lift? Yeah. Do they need a bursary for the travel? Yeah. Things like that. Mm. Um, is the space as physically accessible as humanly possible? Yeah. Uh, in terms of diversity, are we showing that there are people of colour there as well? Are mm. we not just a bunch of white people yeah. asking some people of colour to turn up? Because that's just so rude. And, yeah. <laughs> and it happens all the time. Does yeah. um, things like that, and and also shutting up. For me, shutting up as a white woman, 
Yeah. You know, it has been really important. Mm. And much as I might want to go, yeah, but I'm queer and I'm working class and I live with a health condition because of having all these cancers and, you know, I'm in my blah, blah, blah. Sometimes shut, just shutting up. Yeah. <laughs> Giving space. Yeah. Um, and that can be a useful modeling mm. to other people in powerful positions. Yeah. So in terms of fun palaces... I'm one of the co-directors. We're tiny. There's three of us. We're paid two days a week. But, you know, in terms of fun palaces, of course I am powerful, whatever that means. Because I'm the person people look to. I'm the one who makes the speeches. I'm the one who leads those sorts of things. Mm. Of course I I have some status, whatever that is. Sometimes, shut the fuck up, Stella. Yeah. It's really useful. Yeah, but you you hear from the people who are actually doing Uh it, the makers. Yeah. You're good at putting them in the centre yes. of and that's what you saw everything at, you at, do at, at, the, at that event that you came yeah. to the event at the Facebook page yep. the homepage yep. you know, it's, all ab- it's all about the makers yeah. and that's what that's what we've known all along we always had a sense that that was true but we didn't know it in actuality yeah. until it's become obvious as we've progressed yeah. now ostensibly those people are the vulnerable and the powerless but we've accorded them some power by making it about them, mm. by making them the call. And that's, that's cool. It's yeah. really exciting. That quickly changes things. Yeah, totally. Mm. Totally, yeah. Mm. Okay, Indra, well, Pat had a great question as well. <laughs> Which was... How powerful is the appeal to people's creativity and integrity through science and the arts as an engagement tool? And what might politics learn from that? Um, That's a good question. Yeah, it is. I think, it's, I think it's very powerful, but there are an awful lot of people who don't perceive themselves to be creative. So yeah. it's a double-edged sword. So for people who perceive themselves already to be creative, it's great. They go, oh, I can do this. I can think of what I can do. For people who don't, who go, oh, I'm not creative, like you saying about dance, the people who go, oh, God, I can't dance, it, mm. it will put them off. Yeah. So one of the things we've ended up doing is we hardly ever talk about artists and scientists anymore. We say, if we say it at all, we say that culture is art, science, craft, tech, digital, sport, and heritage, anything mm. that gets people sharing what they do and care about. Yeah. Um, as I said, that, that thing about hands-on rather than eye-to-eye is a really great way to meet somebody. Um, I think that helps. I think saying that all we are asking of you, and, and because this is one of the things we do in the workshops, is we ask people about things that they would like to learn, mm. things that they could teach, that they don't have to be the best in the world at. They just have to know that, yeah, I'm good enough at planting lettuce seeds to teach somebody else how to do that. I'm good enough at um, knitting a plain sleeve of a jumper to show someone else how to do that. Mm. I, uh, when I was 16, I was very good at piercing my ears. I'm good enough. <laughs> we used to get bored at school, right? You just get a cork, you stick another hole through. I'm very good at that. I probably could still remember how to do it. You know, <laughs> I've, still got, I've still got six holes. I only use two of them, but they're there. Things like that that people can share make them feel. But, but what we're saying is it's you don't have to be the best. You just have to care about it. You just have to enjoy it mm. or want to enjoy it, feel somehow attracted to it. Yeah. So 
I like singing, but I have my wife is a better singer than me. She just has a better, cleaner, clearer voice. Mm. As I was after I left home and living in flats, I had several flatmates who were amazing singers and musicians. It made me feel like a pretty shit singer. Yeah. I actually have a perfectly acceptable voice. <laughs> have done a couple of fringe musicals. Can sing. But because my, the people I was around were much better at music and singing than me, for about a decade and a half, I barely sang. Mm. So when we say to people to bring their passion, the thing they're enthusiastic about, we're very clear we don't need them to think they're brilliant at it. Yeah. Because for a long time, and now, I wouldn't ever say I'm brilliant at singing, but I do enjoy it and it makes me feel good. Mm. I wanted to be a dancer and didn't get to go to classes for years and then my, I got to go to classes because my friend's mother was the teacher um, and because it's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was, I'm fine at dancing. I'm not brilliant. I'm fine. I like to move physically to things. Um, but I didn't have much training, and I was never going to. And um, it wasn't it wasn't ac- accessible to me. You know, I didn't go to ballet from the age of three. I went from the age of nine when my friend's mother was able to teach, and I could get yeah. in cheap. Um, that means I've missed that opportunity as a small child to get into it. So we have yeah. to be very careful about who we say is creative. Yeah. It's an amazing study by Anna Bull at Portsmouth Bull. University. I should put you to... That's who I should put you in touch with. Mm. Um, about music in Britain. Mm. And that we say, oh, they're a musical family, or that's a musical child. The truth is, they're a middle-class family. Well, that's a middle-class child. With money to put. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who, have a, who have an instrument at home to practice with. Yeah. Money to pay a child. To, because to become a classical musician, all that stuff about 10,000 hours of practice, it's true. Yeah. But if you don't get that, if you don't start until you're 15, you've missed 10 years of practice. Yeah. Right? I've so, often beaten myself actually up about this. I always wanted to play the guitar, uh-huh. but we couldn't afford it. Exactly. Like, we couldn't afford a class. Exactly. So it was like That's there right. was no yes. opportunity for me to ever learn that. And then I, you know, became a teenager totally. and I already saw people who mm-hmm. were so good. And because I was like, missed- I will never become that yes, great. Yes, that's right. And you won't, so, right? Yeah. You could start now and you might catch up by the time you're 80 if they die at 60. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> but you're, you've missed 20 years of practice. Yeah. 25 years of practice maybe if they had it at home. Because I know I have friends who are musicians whose little children, no chords, mm. getting little hands around a great big guitar, you know, arm, but they're, they're learning them now. Those things are enormous. So what we say is you don't have to be the best. You don't even have to think that you might be the best. You just have to have an interest in it. Mm. And maybe, maybe you think science TV programs are great but you stopped doing science at school at 15 because you left school or it was too hard or whatever here's YouTube here's three science experiments you can do with a four year old practice it in your kitchen and then bring it to the fun palace yeah right it's that level of engagement or if you are a particle physicist can you make it so that a 12 year old can understand it and the 65 year old who left school at 14 yeah you know can you make it so they can because it doesn't help if you bring it at PhD level it has to be accessible to as many people as possible and as many ages as possible Mm. 
And that's, I think the fact that we say it's for all ages is really useful because it means that people try and aim their stuff in a way that will engage both children and older people. Mm. And will make the 17-year-old who doesn't want to be seen dead out with mum and dad want to join in too. Yeah. And that's what people find that really hard. It's much easier to go, I'll put on a thing for 10-year-olds. So much easier. Mm. It's like, you know your age group, you design it for them, it's sorted. I'll put on a thing for 75-year-olds. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put on a thing that a 10-year-old and a 75-year-old might enjoy. That's much harder. Mm. And it, well, it doesn't have to be every activity, but a fun palace, if it's got five activities or 20, mm. that there are things for a range of ages makes yeah. a real difference. And there are different ages mm-hmm. doing the activities yeah. as well, providing yeah, yeah. Exactly. So the, so the thing about creativity is it, it is really important to us and it is key, mm. but it is definitely a double-edged sword. Yeah. And not least because there are so many people who believe they're not creative. Mm. And that's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking because then those people are not understanding how much they can contribute to society because mm. they're not being given an opportunity. Yeah. And then because creativity transfers into everything. Mm. You know, a more creative politics. Yeah. Ah! I mean, that's amazing Mm. if we could open up that much. Amazing. But we do have to be careful on what level we welcome people in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. How much do we have? I've got about two minutes. Two minutes. (laughs) One last question. Yeah. So because I'm... I study leisure, so my course is leisure, and particularly oh. I think events around social yep. engagement, cultural cool. engagement yep. is the thing. Um, and I'm very interested in the future of leisure. Yeah. And in a society where we have more leisure time, uh-huh. given automation, yep. maybe basic income, if yep. all this stuff yeah, actually yeah. comes yeah. through. If it came through. Uh, where do you see fun palaces <laughs> well, as, a, as an activity for people to engage with sure. if they have more leisure the, time? The original fun palace, the building that was going to be built in the East End of London by mm. Cedric Price, the architect, and Joe Little with the theatre director, that never got built but was designed. Mm. That building was intended in 1961, when they first started yeah. drawing designs, to be a space for the working classes who would have so much leisure time uh, once, you know, everything was automated. So, uh, what is it, 50 years later? (laughs) It still hasn't happened, and it probably may never happen. I think this idea of there being increasing leisure, I don't know if it's ever going to happen except for the rich. Um, But, you know, if if it were to, Mm. I think that people like to do and they like to make. Mm. And sometimes in making, it's creating. Sometimes in making, it's dinner. And that's creative as well, you know. Mm. Sometimes we like to do. If in doing, we can learn to be as well. That's where I think the future of leisure would be. Because doing's great. And it fills up hours. Mm. But if within that doing, we can find moments of being and content... Yeah. That's huge. Definitely. Finding yeah. personal contentment within making and doing, mm. that might be the future of leisure. Yeah. A genuine future of leisure. I don't mean content as in putting up with stuff. I mean genuine, personal, being at ease as human beings. Yeah, that's what Buddhism is all about. Yeah, totally, right? Yeah. Being at ease in the world yeah. and with each other. Even though there's suffering. Exactly. Totally. And things are not exactly. perfect. Absolutely. Um, I'm doing a mindful self-compassion course at the moment. Oh, and really? one of the things I just adore about it is, is going, there's a three-part acknowledgement. One, 
this is a moment of suffering. Yeah. Physically, emotionally, whatever. A moment of suffering. Two, everyone suffers. Right now, in the world, there is somebody else with exactly the same agonizing knee pain that my knee is in because I've had arthritis in that knee since an injury when I was 23. Yeah. Therefore, we are connected. And yeah. my suffering is not my suffering alone. And therefore, I can be a bit more at ease with it. Yeah. Now, I'm nowhere near totally having that in, my, in me <laughs> in every way, but I do get it as a concept, and I love yeah. getting it as a concept. Yeah. And maybe that person isn't even far away in the world. Maybe they're sitting at the next table. Yeah. You know? And for me, that kind of understanding is the core of Fun Palaces, that we're not that different. Yeah. And hopefully it'll be the core of this work that you guys are doing too, that we're yeah. not that different. It's, ins- it's so important to yeah. have s- successful uh-huh. spaces so yes. you guys can, we can yes. come in and be like, yeah. oh, we're not that different. Yeah. And you actually have this in common. And totally. Tri- I also have problems with my Tribal needs, politics, or, yeah. which has been one of the huge problems, I think, across the Western world, certainly, and probably in the Eastern world that I don't even know about, right? But certainly across the Western world that I do know about the problems of tribal democracy, let alone tribal feudalism and tri- you know, tribal kings and queens. But tribal democracy doesn't work either. And, and, and it's so interesting. People go, yes, but democracy is fantastic. It's like, well, it was fantastic if you were an Athenian man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was invented, invented. Democracy was invented for one bunch of rich people yeah. who were male. That's who it was invented for. Democracy is inherently flawed. Hmm. And maybe it's the best we can work with at the moment. But it, for us to, to create out of it, we've just got to be more open. Hmm. You know, more open, more generous, more kind. Yeah. yeah. Kindness. I think kindness is a real key. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I have to call my man in Liverpool now. Do it. <laughs> That was Stella Duffy from Fun Palaces. Go check them out at funpalaces.co.uk. And if you want to know more about the Alternative UK and our friendly revolution, then come visit us at www.thealternative.org.uk or on Twitter at alteruk21 or on Facebook at alternativeuk21. My name is Maria Dorothea Scott and I'll see you next time.